0: You are tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. You are tuning into Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Today we are delivering Texas sized history. And living history. At the top of the program, you will hear from Texas State Representative Cristina Morales, who has submitted a bill to make ethnic studies courses count towards high school graduation requirements. This is major. We want to make sure that you are involved in this from the beginning, as this bill works its way through the Texas legislature. You're also going to hear her read her op-ed, which appeared in the Houston Chronicle, basically breaking down why she's putting all her time and energy into this very important bill. Second half of the show, we're uncovering past discrimination. Is the University of of Texas unfairly paying and overworking the leading Latino, Chicana, and Chicano professors at the University of Texas? And if it's happening there, is it happening everywhere else? We'll be talking to leading scholar in the field of Mexican-American studies and history across the board Dr. Emilio Zamora, who is in the history department at the University of Texas, Austin. Stay tuned. Big topics, important show. You've come to expect nothing less. Wanna thank Rodrigo Bravo for mixing this show and all our other shows brilliantly. Also want to thank Roxana Guzman for helping us get our graphics out there and Letty Lopez for helping us with our sounds. This is Tony Diaz, 90.1 FM KPFT Houston. Boys.
1: Representative Christina Morales, and I am going to read an opinion editorial that was published in the Houston Chronicle on January 20th, 2021, titled Mexican-American and African-American Studies Should Count Towards Graduation in Texas. I am blessed to know my history My grandfather attended a segregated school. My grandmother remembers a park in San Antonio with a sign that read no dogs or Mexicans allowed. We have come a long way since then, but there is still so much work to be done. Knowledge of my heritage helped me become a leader and play a role in making Texas a better place. That is why I'm introducing a bill in the Texas legislature to award full credit to high school students for ethnic studies courses and count them towards their graduation requirements. Texas youth deserve to know their history. When my grandparents moved to Houston in 1931, they moved to Second Ward, which we lovingly call Segundo Barrio. There they found a neighborhood with the highest concentration of Latinos, mostly Mexican and Mexican American. This is where they would later open Morales Funeral Home, the first Latino-owned funeral home in Houston, and then a cemetery. The funeral services they provided to families were filled with compassion and provided everyone during their time of mourning with recognition and respect for their Mexican heritage. In 1950, they opened radio station KLVL, La Voz Latina. For many years, it was the only Spanish-language radio station in the Gulf Coast. The radio station was not only a form of entertainment, but it provided news, weather, job listings, and talk shows where the community members could call in and share accomplishments, celebrations, and tragedies. Just imagine being in a foreign country and unable to speak the language. How would you know if a hurricane was coming? How would you find a job? Our history was not taught in schools, seen on TV, or celebrated. So how could you remember your heritage, tradition, or shared history? In the years since, commerce blossomed. Families thrived and Segundo Barrio in Houston grew as the Latino population significantly increased. Now there are many Latino funeral homes and Spanish radio stations across the Houston area. Latinos have grown exponentially in our city and our state. Our history contributions, however, are not regularly recognized or celebrated outside of our neighborhoods or the households where families share their customs. I feel fortunate to be part of the history of Segundo Barrio. I see our family's name on our building every day. I see our family's name honored in El Paseo del Segundo Barrio in Guadalupe Plaza Park. I can hear my family's name. Ring out in the Texas Capitol when I'm called as a Texas state representative. I will carry out my family legacy of giving back by championing this ethnic studies bill so that students from our neighborhoods, our cities, and our towns can see their families' contributions in their textbooks, in their curriculum, and in their classrooms. This is the Texas-sized version of history that helped create this great state, and we are poised to share it through high schools from Houston to El Paso. Texans have already united to bring this history forward and it's time to celebrate its richness to the fullest. Republican and Democratic Texas State Board of Education representatives voted unanimously to approve Mexican American studies in 2018 and African American studies in 2019 as electives. These powerful courses are only offered as electives relegating our history to second-class, extra, or something to overlook. That is why, according to the Texas Education Agency, just over 1,400 Texas students were able to take Mexican-American studies and less than 100 were able to take African-American studies in the 2019-2020 school year. I am submitting a bill to change that. My bill would allow African-American studies and Mexican-American studies courses to count towards high school graduation requirements. These courses currently lack this critical designation. This change would encourage school districts to invest in the teachers, staff, and resources to teach these courses long-term. Most importantly, this change will make our history count. It would also inspire scholars and activists to develop the curriculum for approval of further ethnic studies courses, including Asian American and Indigenous American studies. Activists, scholars, and elected officials have included both of these disciplines since advocates began championing this new era of ethnic studies. Study after study confirms that culturally relevant courses bridge the educational divide. The Cabrera study provided this information at the Arizona Supreme Court and was pivotal evidence in overturning the state's ban of Mexican American studies. Now we must unite so that every district benefits from the richness of these courses. This is especially important in the post George Floyd era where so much attention is focused on dismantling structural discrimination that permeates our lives. Culturally relevant courses go far beyond the classroom in cultivating a generation of leaders who will diffuse cultural conflicts early on. These same thinkers can also build a Texas where all our contributions are recognized, respected and celebrated. Please join me in delivering a Texas-sized history for all our youth and their families.
0: politics and news. This is Tony Diaz. Today we're joined on the air to literally make history. We're going to be discussing the evolution of a bill submitted to the Texas legislature to, and everybody who listens to our show, <laughs> and is a libre Traficante activist or scholar is about to cheer out loud. So they're going to freak people out if they're on their headphones <laughs> and, and sitting around other folks. This bill will make sure that ethnic studies courses like African-American history and Mexican-American history count towards high school graduation requirements. If you've been walking with us during all of these campaigns all the way back, when Arizona banned Mexican-American studies. You can understand why we are beyond ourselves with excitement at this moment. We're joined on the air by the Texas legislature who is making this possible with all of our heart, all of our intelligence, pero representando Segundo Barrio through and through and helping all of Texas, a dear friend of the community and our champion, Texas State Representative, Cristina Morales. It is wonderful to get to talk to you about this.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Tony. This is uh, very, very exciting.
0: And I wanna let people know that we're gonna approach this as an introduction to this campaign because it's presented at this time of the year and the session goes into May. And somewhere in there, a vote will occur, and perhaps this will become a law. So there's several steps along the way. T- tell us why you presented this bill, Christina.
1: Oh, there's so many reasons, and um, you know, you're right. There are so many steps to to getting a bill passed and then, It's got to go through the Senate, you know, in the House, we've got to pass it. Then it's got to go through the Senate and then, you know, the governor. So there's a lot of steps. There's more opportunities for a bill to fail than there is for it to pass. (laughs) So we've got our work cut out for us, that's for sure. But definitely this bill is the one, um, you know, I'd love for this to be the first bill (laughs) that I pass through the Texas House of Representatives. uh, it's it's so important to our community, uh, especially during a time when uh, the pandemic has shown how marginalized our community is, how hard it is for us to just graduate high school. I've said this all along. like we have, you know uh, one of the highest dropout rates. and so my passion has always been to focus on the children and and particularly, the education piece and how we need to be afforded every opportunity. So this is one of those opportunities. This is how we can keep our kids in school and make them feel special and make them feel like they matter and that this is important and their history is important and keep them engaged in the process. And the studies show that it works. So, this is just one of many things that I feel blessed and honored to do for my community. And, um, and you know, uh, I hope that we can get it, get it passed.
0: Now, destiny seems to be on your side because we're, <laughs> and we're going to air it often. You had an op ed published in the Houston Chronicle that gave kind of your hearts felt reasons for presenting this bill, but also the logical reasons it should pass. But I think destiny is on your side because it was published the morning of the inauguration of President Biden. (laughs) (laughs) Which was
1: awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I mean, you know, I think the Latino presence is there in this administration. I mean, Cesar Chavez statue <laughs> <laughs> right behind our, our new president as he's signing all these executive orders. I mean, just amazing. And the fact that a Latino has been chosen as the new uh, secretary of education was just awesome to me because, you know, in our state, you know, uh, I think like 70 plus percent of the student body is Latino, you know, so it is so important to have somebody who understands our culture and understands the struggle and understands our background. So, uh, I was very, very proud. I didn't expect it to come out that quickly because we had just submitted the, the, um, uh, the op-ed on, what, like a week before. And, uh, you know, and they have to time it and make sure it fits in the, you know, uh, how they want to publish it and so on and so forth. And we were just very, very fortunate that it came out uh, on Inauguration Day. And, uh, and you know, it took me a few days to, to, to write some heartfelt uh, feelings that I had about this and and to write about my grandparents and and their history um, here in the community, which was very important. And and again, I feel so blessed to know their accomplishments. My grandmother actually had a book uh, with all these newspaper articles about their history, uh, different things that they did in the community and, and, um, and so, you know, to take a few minutes and jot that down, it was, it was, uh, well, a couple of hours actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm always like so critical of what I'm writing. So just, you know, t- taking the time and then, uh, you know, it, it, it just, it, um, it, I was very proud to see it in the paper. So I'm going to, I'm going to clip it and save it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it, and it'll wind up in the rest of the Morales archives and, <laughs> I, I want <laughs> <I wanna laughs> to mention the folks that this really is the tip of the pyramid, and of course, we're going to have you back as this journey continues, and we hope that our listeners will be profoundly involved, but there's two aspects to touch on, because when we talk about your family's contributions, people can go to Guadalupe Plaza and see the plaque to your family among the familias in the Paseo, and additionally... There is an archive of your family at the Hispanic Archives in the Houston Public Library, and we're not playing. <laughs> and, and even this radio show is archived at the University of Houston Digital Archives. That, that essay, <laughs> this conversation, are part of living history, which is another reason that our listeners should really pay attention in that we're not playing. This is the moment where our community is coming into its own, where it can imagine something that's just for our community, has leaders like yourself that believe in community cultural capital. And let me see if I have this correct. Now, it seems as if different legislatures have different strategies for how many bills they present and what they want to focus on. Tell us how this bill fits into that strategy. Oh,
1: I'm so glad you asked that, um you know, the reality is I am very new um, to this job. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm a new legislator. So I, you know, um, I have to be very strategic and, um, you know, I have to face the reality that we are in a um, Republican majority and not to say anything negative towards Republicans, but this this is a bill that, Could potentially be very hard to pass. It costs money. You know, um, you know, it doesn't meet all this criteria. So we we wanted to um, make sure that this bill was very easy to understand and that the physical note on it was minimal, Um, and being very strategic, I think we have a very good opportunity to get this bill passed. And it'll just be chipping away at um, the overall, you know, outcome of all this is, is to make sure that that uh, we recognize all the accomplishments and, and have ethnic studies, many ethnic studies um, for our students to to um, be able to participate in as as they graduate high school because, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, post-George Floyd era, we realized that we need to understand the, the different um, cultures and ethnicities in our state because that's what makes our communities, our state, our nation. And uh, so, you know, there's bigger and better things that we want to do, but this is, like like you said, you know, the tip of the pyramid. And and it's 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 going to make a big difference. Um, without um, you know being divisive, it's going to I'm going to work on making sure that this is a bipartisan um, bill. That's 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 my objective right now is to get everybody on board. Just like when Mexican American studies
0: and and that's a that's a great that's a great standard that was set. Because this takes Texas out of its past where I remember when we first convened as activists at the state capitol back in 2012. After the Libertadores got back from Arizona and other fellow activists, this is not non-Latinos, fellow Mex-American Latinos would say, don't waste your time. And Texas State Board of Education members, especially Republicans in the past, Mm -hmm. were famous for saying such things as that Dolores Huerta was a communist, a socialist. They were completely against Mexican-American studies back then. And we should also remember that during during this timeline between those moments and the wonderful passing of... Mexican-American studies as the elective. There was also that moment that that terrible racist textbook was presented in Texas that I hate to re- remind people about it, but we got to go there. One of the definitions in the book was that Chicanos want to overthrow Western civilization. So we we have to get past that. And as you alluded to, what's great is that at the end of that journey, it took several years, but you had you had Democratic and Republican Texas Board of Education representatives unite across party lines and unanimously endorse Mexican-American studies first and then African-American studies after that. So I think you have a chance, the way you've worded it, shaped it, the way this is moving, to bring Texas together. For Texas-sized history, it takes both parties to lift Texas this high, I think, so— this is a great test that I hope Texas lives up to.
1: Yes, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I was on a, uh, a call. Um, it was a zoom press conference <laughs> that I think that was the first for me. Uh, <laughs> and it was regarding a uh, Confederate heroes day in Texas, which still exists. <laughs> it's still on the wow. books. And one of my colleagues, uh, Jarvis Johnson, um, representative Johnson, um, he's, he's awesome. And, uh, asked us to to co-author his, uh, piece, the piece of legislation that he's, uh, filed, um, to remove that from, you know, from the books. <laughs> and, you know, it was really nice to see that there were, there was a Republican representation to, you know, of course, obviously there were more Democrats, but, um, uh, but this can be a bipartisan effort, and um, and I think there there are um, some Republicans who do want to participate and, and understand and have seen, you know, um, the in this po- post George Floyd era, how mm-hmm. um, you know there's a lot of work to be done, um, and and we need to to recognize everyone, not just
0: you know, one group. <laughs> I think the flip side too, I mean, we mentioned the dark days not too far long back. I want to remind folks and I try and do it often. In 2012, Arizona banned Mexican American studies. That means in our lifetime, on our watch, Mexican American history and culture was banned by a state. We must never forget that. Of course, right? you, you know, we all united our community cultural capital across the Southwest in the nation helped overturn that. But mm-hmm. this is not a conspiracy theory that there was that sort of, uh, uh, outward look towards our histories on the flip side. You, you did mention the new, uh, secretary of education under the Biden administration. Uh, his name is Miguel Cardona and he comes from Connecticut and still You know, shockingly enough, Connecticut just recently became the first state to require African American studies or Mexican American studies to graduate from high school. So I think what's fascinating is that this bill is coming at a time where if states like Connecticut And also the current Secretary of Education understand the power of culturally relevant curriculum. It's beautiful for Texas to be right on the cutting edge. And I will add, Texas was the first state to endorse both courses, the African American history course and the Mexican American history course. But those are more good signs, don't you think? Oh, absolutely.
1: And I mean, am I correct to say that there are more Mexicans in Texas? (laughs)
0: <laughs> <Then in Connecticut.
1: laughs> I don't know. But you know, I'm gonna I'm go so out
0: on so a limb bad. and agree with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I just I'm so glad that I have you as a resource too, Tony, because I did not know that. And uh and I you know, and you may have mentioned it to me before, but I mean that's just amazing. And I mean it's just a sign of things to come and uh you know, it's just it's it's very exciting and um yeah I'd love hearing that I'd
0: love hearing that and and, and as your op ed stated and again we're going to be playing it several times because it is powerful and it is living history but if this is implemented it also builds the structure where other fields of study will be encouraged because when a course becomes a high school requirement it's taken more seriously it's given more attention They can hire the teachers, they can train the teachers because it counts. And that will encourage school districts to also put time and energy into the scholars who will create Asian American studies, Indigenous American studies, because that seems part of this as well.
1: Yes. And, you know, I do have to say too that, um, you know, Mexican American studies doesn't mean Latino studies because. There is also a large concentration of um, El Salvadorians here. You know, um, Hondurans. You know, all, there, there's so many ethnicities and um, and folks that need to be recognized. So, you know, the possibilities are endless. Um, but you know, obviously, the vast majority are Mexican
0: Americans right now, and it's important to to recognize our history. And, and to take it back to what you said originally. At the end of the day, we got to get to work and get our students through school. So here's a very cogent, specific way to get our youth to graduate, to get advanced degrees. And it would be cool if then following these patterns with these policies in place, someone listening right now may be the progenitor of Salvadoran American studies, and that could wind Mm -hmm. up in school, right? Um, You know, well, let's close with bringing everybody into the tent because we had chatted I missed the days when I got to host the Accordion Kings and Queens concert, which was pre-COVID-19 era, (laughs) and we would fill Herman Park. I forget what the fire code violation is, so we always had to say it was one less person than that, that maximum. But Texas gets it. That park was full of folks, and I'm talking in the thousands, who were enjoying... Zydeco music, Cajun music, Conjunto, and you had the Czech boys and you had African-Americans dancing, Latinos dancing, the Tejano music. I think Texas gets it at the very granular level, and I think your bill allows room for that. You got to believe that's the Texas that can happen, maybe, no? (laughs) I
1: do, and... Oh my God. Once you tell me about that festival, I'm like, why is it COVID right now? I'd love to be in that (laughs) festival right now. (laughs) I mean, amazing. And uh, I did want to say one thing, Tony, you know, COVID and the way it's just beaten down on our community and the way, you know, the digital divide is affecting our community. And it's just that much harder for our kids to get through school mm-hmm. you know um, we need everything everything to help our kids uh, feel engaged want to finish you know um talking to a friend the other day and her son's a senior you know and he's just ready to give up you know because how do you learn in in this environment you know mm-hmm. it's just so much harder for our kids but But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the possibilities are endless, and and Texas is the place. We need this Texas sized history.
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
1: For all our students.
0: Exactly. We have been chatting with Texas State Representative Christina Morales, who has introduced the bill that will make courses such as african-american studies and mexican-american studies count towards high school graduation we appreciate getting a glimpse into this journey and we expect to be totally wrapped up in this as it proceeds thank you for all you do and thank you for always putting the community and our youth first
1: thank you tony
0: Tuning into Latino politics and news. This is Tony Diaz. Today we're going to take a deeper dive into an issue that has arisen across the country, but it's being quantified by some of the leading scholars in the nation at the University of Texas Austin. And it has to do with whether or not Latino professors are being paid fairly for the amount of work that they're doing. It seems that that's not the case. We are joined by legendary scholar and professor, Professor Emilio Zamora from the University of Texas, where he is a full professor in the history department. Muy bienvenido de nuestro programa, profesor. ¿Cómo está? Muy bien. Muchas
2: gracias, Tony.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to be talking about the independent Equity Committee and the report that they came up with regarding equity issues for Latino professors at the University of Texas. But it sounds as if Latino professors were not being treat, treated fairly. Let me ask you this. Is that the basic premise of the report? The report that we prepared offers
2: quantitative data based on the pay data that the university makes public and we have concluded based on our analysis that um, full professors especially the latina and latino professors at the university are by and large paid lower amounts though they produce at high levels in the history department where i teach I am uh, about 13th in productivity, meaning that there's at least 50 people underneath me, below me, that uh, produce fewer books and articles. I'm number 13th in productivity, but I'm getting paid at the 32nd level, more or less, Um, meaning that I produce uh, a lot, but don't get paid for the work that I do. Uh, relative to other people at my level. And uh, so we started in the history department, three of us, three Latino faculty. In the halls, we, we shared our experiences and frustration with uh, the fact that we believed we were getting paid low amounts. And so we proposed to the history department to form an equity committee. And we joined the equity committee, two of us, and produced a report that we then presented to the department that showed that Latinos, three Latinos and one Latina, generally were getting paid lower than we deserved. Um, From there, we went to university-wide data, first to the college data, and we found generally the same trends. It's at that point that we formed the... Uh, Independent Equity Committee with Latino, Latina faculty, all full professors, eight of us from sociology, history, anthropology, um, uh, psychology, and English. We found out that based on the uh, salary data produced by the university, Latinos and Latinas in those departments, particularly the full department, Full professors are getting paid a lower rate. And we've gone from there and used university wide data, presented a report to the university, and we don't believe that the university responded well. Um, we wanted the university to, to uh, correct the problem, and we gave them 33 cases of Latino faculty that were being underpaid, Uh, they provided monies to increase the salaries of faculty and only about a third of the ones that we recommended received salary increases. And even in in some of those cases, the salary increases did not uh, correct the problem. The inequity uh, continued. So we've taken a step, a next step, which is um, submitting. We're in the process of submitting complaints to the Labor Department. um, The University of Texas, in part because it has federal contracts, um, is responsible for meeting um, some uh, criteria, anti-discrimination criteria, so that When complaints go in uh, to the Labor Department, the Labor Department investigates and renders a decision. So we're asking the Labor Department to intercede in our case against the University of Texas at Austin.
0: And this is powerful on many levels. Typically, we've been engaged in fighting for access to these positions. That's a whole other issue. And here we are discussing unfair pay standards for our community at, let's see, we're in Texas. It's in Austin. It's the prestigious University of Texas at Austin. And additionally, we're talking about uh, you, Professor Zamora. You are one of the leading figures in the field across the country, so I am stunned on all these levels. Let, let's, let's talk about some of the nuances here. We, we stress that your full-time faculty, I'm sorry, full-time, your full professor, as are yes. the other folks who are being studied. What does that signify in the academic world?
2: To be a full professor is to achieve the highest level of accomplishment and it's recognized by the university with an assignment of a full professor, uh, the status of full professor. You start When you start fresh out of graduate school, you get a, a job at a university, and you become an assistant professor. When you publish a, a book and some articles, you get evaluated and if you pass the evaluation, you become an associate professor. Um, when you have additional uh, books, that are assessed on a third major occasion, you can be um, promoted to full professor. Um, and th- there's all kinds of other promotions, but those are the three major promotions. You said something earlier about the fact that um, our concern for a long time was access. Now it's gotten more complicated. You are correct. That's a very good observation. Um, but I want to add that when we talk about pay inequities, we're not disregarding other issues like the underrepresentation of Latinos and Latinas in the student body, in in high positions of administration, in the high-level job classifications, for example, among um, the workers who clean the buildings and and serve the food. A lot of times, most of the time, those are minority workers. The supervisors in the high executive positions, those positions are filled by non-Latinos. So the problem of underrepresentation representation is still an issue. Uh, in, in the state of Texas, Latinos represent, what, about 40% of the population? Yet the Latinos only represent, you know, less than 3-5% of the Latino faculty. Mm -hmm. So the University of Texas is not keeping pace with the demographic growth that shows that Latinos and Latinas are becoming they are the largest minority group in the state and they will very soon become the majority of the population in the state of Texas. African-Americans are facing the same issue. They, they represent the lower portion of the Texas population, what, about 15, 17? But the faculty of African-American origin at UT Austin are they, – they're a smaller number. The African-American student population is at about 4 to 6 percent. It's been at that level for years. Wow. Um, so, underrepresentation is a problem too, but this other problem just complicates things. When you do get hired, you don't necessarily receive equitable treatment as you move up the ranks and the professoriate. And I, we were again looking at the underrepresentation and equal compensation. Um, among other workers in, in the administration and in the general workforce of the university, and we suspect, based on conversations with other Latino Latina faculty in other universities, that part of the University of Texas system, that the same problems are occurring there. That is underrepresentation and pay inequities.
0: However, they haven't had. The, the benefit of quantifying those issues there. And this is information that's important because this just shows how many fronts we have to address at the same time and keep, and keep digging. I, I think what really frustrates me is that it takes energy away from one area and all of a sudden it's clear that here's this other facet that We also have to attend to while also all of you are performing at the highest level possible. It's juggling all these things at once. That seems to be the current situation for our gente.
2: You said uh, that you were stunned. We are stunned too. Uh, We are experiencing, as Mexicans say, carne propia. It's an everyday experience for us, but it's also stunning. Uh, Because, you know, we work hard, like most faculty, all faculty do, but we expect to be rewarded, like all faculty. Now, some may say, well, but you're getting paid enough to live comfortably. But that's not the issue. I could live on one half of my salary, thanks to God for, for allowing me to reach this point in my career. But that's not the issue. When other, other people are earning larger sums of money and producing less, that creates a major problem for me because I am not able to provide for my family the way they do. I'm not able to put money aside for retirement the way they do. Um, I cannot buy the car that I need because the one that I drive is not doing well, but others do. So, um, the, the difference in pay has consequences for our quality of life, that we live daily, and every now and then you you feel stunned by the whole thing, but we are responding. We're taking action. We're, we live in a country that encourage us to speak out if we have any concerns and to make use of laws that have been established to um, address these kinds of problems. We're not doing anything illegal. We're, we're good workers. We, we have done well as uh, historians and sociologists and anthropologists, and we're only asking for what is due to us. That's our view. The universities talk a lot about meritocracy. The issue of meritocracy basically says that if you have merit, if you do what you're supposed to do and you perform at the highest level, if you demonstrate that kind of merit, you will be rewarded accordingly. We believe that the real issue, one one way, to deal with it, to talk about it, issues, to talk about it in terms of meritocracy. If meritocracy fails us, you can be sure that it fails others. It'll fail African Americans, and we've demonstrated that. It will fail the women, and I, the university has demonstrated that with a report that they did in 2008. We are defending meritocracy for the sake of all of us. Not just for us as individuals or, or just Latinos and Latinas. Um, we're helping the university live up to its um, um, guiding the values and um, regulations. Uh,
0: additionally, this has an impact on all of us because here we have a major institution institutionalizing undercutting our community cultural capital which then means all latino professionals are perceived to deserve less so i want to make that clear in that it should be where our community is treated equally and let's let's go a step further i think we should be given more compensation because typically chicana chicano latino professors are also mentoring, working with the community, testifying for ethnic studies, <laughs> right? Pushing, yeah. pushing yeah. other issues.
2: Yeah, yeah. well, we—I I like to think of myself not only as a university professor, but also a public intellectual mm-hmm. that is uh, engaged in, with our communities and doing work of service to those communities. But let me expand a little bit more on this question of discrimination. You um, the problem. There's a, a number of ways to explain how this problem emerges. One of the ways in which it emerges is that the university's in competition with other elite institutions, and one of the things that they do, they do a number of things in order to improve their status and and, and to become more competitive with other universities. One, they raise more money, but they also raise more. They raise more money in part to hire some of the top scholars in the, in the country that are producing a lot of books that are pretty well known and so forth. They command a larger salary. So the, the university at one point decides that they're gonna improve the status of the university and they start hiring these top scholars and they start paying them large amounts of money. When that those people are introduced into the department, with a salary of $300,000, well, it, it creates inequities among the faculty, okay? So, in many ways, this, the inequities are not necessarily the result of conscious discriminatory action. It's just policy that has, as one of its um, consequences, pay inequities. Now... The issue for us is this. When all of that happens, it it, it becomes evident that a number of people are falling behind in salary, okay? The people that are managing these departments and colleges should be able to tell when those hires of top-notch professors is upsetting the pay structure, it's at that point that they're obligated to step in and say, let's equalize this Mm. on the basis of meritocracy. That's where, you know, the problem gets compounded, and it carries, in effect, or the impact becomes a cultural, ethnic, or racial impact. When people see the inequities caused by policies that did not intend to create racial inequities, when they see the problems and they don't do anything about it, and they let the problem fester, that's when those problems then become problems affecting the Latinos and Latinas or African-Americans. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's complicated. I just, I just needed to point that out because— When we say that Latinos are getting underpaid, uh, the usual response is, well, the university decided to bring in these people and pay them more, and so the pay structure gets in balance. So it's nobody's fault, or they didn't intend to create inequities affecting Latinos. Yes, that's true to some extent, but once they saw the inequities, why did the managers not fix the problem? You see what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, especially that's, black and white.
2: Yeah, and that's that's what we are um, underscoring. We're not talking about people that get up in the morning and maliciously think about doing something to the first Latino that they see. There's this negligent in many in my mind. They're not necessarily malicious. They're negligent as managers. You see, uh, now somebody may say, well, that negligence has a disparate impact or racial impact. So it's racial. Well, that's fine. But um, we're focusing on the fact that managers did not do anything about the unequal pay structure. Once it was evident that, that 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 was a problem affecting a number of people. And it affected us more
0: than anybody else. Let's add a, let's add another practice to this which is the practice of stipends because your preliminary report was based on these publicly reported salaries. However, in the field of education there are also ways that Professors can be compensated, and that doesn't show up in these public records. How does that also affect this disparity? And are Latinos privy to those stipends as often as non-Latinos?
2: You're on target there, Tony, again. That is a very important issue. The, the analysis we did used public data, data that the university uh, was publishing up until this year, as far as I can tell. In other words, they put out the, the, the pay scales by departments and colleges and campuses, but they would, will not provide what we call the full compensation package. One of the things we are arguing is that we're not only getting paid lower, but we do not get assigned to important positions like chair of a department, or like the director of, of an institute, And when you get assigned to those things, you get paid more every year. And that increase remains on your base salary. The next year, you're a chair again. Another large amount is put into your pay package. But the university does not make available that that, that full compensation data that includes the stipends. So we're arguing that there is also governance discrimination. That is, we're not included in governance and the governance of the of the the schools, the departments, the institutes. And and so we're arguing that the disparities are most probably greater. We are convinced that they're greater. That is, if you put in the stipend, Hmm. then we, in this unequal pay structure, appear at a lower point. But we won't know that uh, until and if the Department of Labor orders the university to provide that the full compensation data.
0: We've been talking to Professor Emilio Samora from the University of Texas at Austin. He is one of the leading minds in history and Mexican-American studies in the nation. He's been getting us up to date on the Independent Equity Committee's Inequity Report. You've been very magnanimous and pointing out that this has evolved over time. I'm going to take the liberty of saying that I hope this is addressed or it is straight-up discrimination. As you pointed out, this could be explained in different ways. I'll I'll grant the system that, but I will point out, and I need our listeners to keep this in mind, we have to keep track of this. If this is not addressed, then discrimination is in full force. And I will say this, this is an injustice to the community cultural capital of our community. But thank you for all you do. Thank you for taking the time to talk to uh, our radio show. Um, Will you be able to give us updates later in the future?
2: Uh, Absolutely. Thank you for your interest. This is very important, not only for us, but we're not just doing it just for us. We're we're challenging this this system of meritocracy, failed system of meritocracy, for the sake of those that come after us, and also for the sake of other faculty and other students and workers in other universities throughout the nation. Uh, We're standing up for what is right. We're standing up for the next generation. That's
0: why we do it. Thank you so much.
2: Mm -hmm. Thank you, Tony. And um, thank you all out there, the audience, for listening. And um, I urge you to to understand our situation um, and empathize with us. You don't have to agree with us, but at least try to understand why we do this. And uh, know that when I... Talk about these things. I do it with uh, with some authority and, and with some and with uh, a great deal of honesty. And so I pray that your audience at, at least baby. tries to understand why we're raising this issue. And we welcome your empathy and support. Thank you very much.
0: Unidos. politics and news with tony diaz on 90.1 fm kpft houston texas the era of hispandering is over
1: magazines, newspapers, cable television, the internet, all sources of news and information and all cost money. KPFT costs money too but unlike those other news sources, you get to decide whether you want to help pay for it and how much to contribute. It's unusual in the age of big corporate media to have a quality source of news and information that's paid for voluntarily but that's one more way KPFT gives you more than you might expect. We can do it thanks to listeners who contribute their voluntary support every year. Please join them. Call 713- 5265738 or go to kpft.org. Again, you can make your gift at kpft.org or call 713-526-5738. That's 713-526-K P F T. Call now. This is commercial free, listener sponsored Pacifica Radio, K P F T Houston.